Good morning to Gimbar Khatimatova. It is a great pleasure to see everybody. Um, I want to introduce Rabbi Wine and thank you again for being here with us. I asked Rabbi Wine um, a few weeks ago what he would be speaking about today on Arab Yom Kippur. Uh, Rabbi Wine can speak about basically any subject from A to Z and he just said one word. It's forgiveness. That's what we're going to learn about. Sometimes it goes back to the basics. So um, it was very moving to me to hear that one word. And I'm going to leave it with Rabbi Wine. Thank you very much for being here. Please turn off your phones if you do not have a schedule for the upcoming program because you're here for the first time. Make sure to get one on your way out. And if you have any questions, you can email me or call me and I will be in touch with you. My phone number is on the schedule. Okay. Mordechai, did you clip it on to the other one? Good. He's got a mic on, our new mic for the new year. Boker Tov, everyone. There are uh, there are three three uh, speeches uh, that a rabbi is involved in. The one he planned to speak upon, the one he actually spoke upon and the one that he should have spoken upon. So originally, I told the author that it was going to be forgiveness. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a practical example of forgiveness <laughs> that you're going to forgive me that I'm not going to speak about forgiveness. I have a daughter, Bar Hashem, in. Uh, I don't think it's on. Your mic. My sister turned off. Uh, it wanted to speak about forgiveness. <laughs> One of my daughters lives in uh, a smaller community in the United States that has a very uh, strong Orthodox community, but it's small. And therefore, uh, some of the infrastructure which exists in the larger communities is not present. So she has a friend, a good friend, that every year before the holidays it goes to the New York area in order to purchase clothing, women's clothing because in uh, this smaller community there is no store that 
carries clothing that is suitable for women, for Jewish women. So she comes into this store in New York, and it's a big store, it's not a Jewish store, it's a general store, but it has a section in which uh, it caters to uh, uh, Jewish women. So she goes in there, and she goes every year, and she goes in, she wants to buy an outfit, and uh, she sees something she likes, so she says, I want to go up to the fitting room and try it on, and then you can set up the seamstress, and we'll see if we can fit it. So the saleswoman says to her, well, the, the fitting room, the regular fitting room, uh, you can't go in there because the wife of the president of Kenya is in there. She bought a number of outfits and the seamstress is going to fit her. So if you don't mind waiting, or you can use the basement. This woman uh, evidently didn't understand, and she went to the fitting room anyway. And the uh, guards want to stop her at the door, and the uh, wife of the president of Kenya, who was standing there, says, oh no, let, let her in, there are plenty of rooms, uh, there are plenty, plenty of booths here, there's no reason. So she comes in, and the wife of the president of Kenya says to her, you're Jewish, aren't you? So she said, yes, I'm Jewish. So she said, I could tell, because you dressed modestly. And then the wife of the president of Kenya said, the royal family of Kenya always dresses modestly. So I thought to myself, that's such a telling thing. The royal family dresses modestly. And there is no more royal family in the world than the Jewish people. We're the ultimate royal family. Part of the tragedy is that the royal family doesn't realize it. They think we're just like everybody else. And we've had an example over the past few months, which is what got me off of forgiveness of what royalty is. The pomp, the circumstance, the speech, the dress, the pageantry. royal family. And uh, Rosh Hashanah is uh, enwrapped in Malchus and royalty. And Yom HaKippurim is royalty. Melech, Mochel, Besoleach. The king can forgive. The king can issue pardons. We say it in Dominic, 
We are children of the royal family, we're servants, but we're always in the palace. We're the royal family. The royal family dresses modestly, and it speaks modestly, and it thinks modestly, and it respects modesty. The greatest of all human beings in our prayers is always mentioned as Onov, Onov. He doesn't say Meshur Rabbeinu is the greatest London. He doesn't say Meshur Rabbeinu is the greatest leader. He is all of those things. But And that's an important lesson for us. So then I thought there's a famous Medrash. I used to have a good friend, a rabbi, that used to say, there's a famous Medrash that's very little well known. But this is a famous Medrash. The Medrash asks, Loma Zoha Yehuda the Malchus. Why was Yehuda chosen by Yaakov Avinu? and then confirmed by Moshe Rabbeinu with the blessing of royalty that eventually the royal family of Israel will be from his seed. Why, uh, okay, I understand that Ruvain, okay, the Yaakov had a complaint about Ruvain, had a complaint about Shimon and Levi. But why did he make Yisachar? Yisachar is a lifetime Kolel member. Sanhedrin, the Rosh Yeshiva. Why did he make Zvulun the king? It would have a wonderful economy. This woman is the expert in finances. Can prevent the great mistakes that inept people make. Why did he make Yosef? Yosef is his beloved son. Yaakov loves Yosef more than all the other brothers. Why did he make Binyamin? Nafshal pshura benafshal. Their souls are bound together. Why did he make Yehuda? And the truth of the matter is, if in uh, Yehuda lived in our time, and you wanted to make a shidduch with him, and he gave you the resume the Torah gives, you wouldn't want it. So, so 
When the Medrash asks the question, it's not a rhetorical question. There must be something special here in the definition of royalty. Something that all of us who aspire to be royal can inculcate within ourselves. So the Medrash gives four answers. You're not going anywhere for a few minutes, so we'll, we'll try and do all four. The brothers are convinced that Yosef is an existential threat to them. Yosef, Avi di Bosom Royal Avia. Yosef is a traitor. He accuses them falsely of terrible sins. He doesn't talk to them. To them he talks about how great he is. He's the sun and the moon and everybody's going to bow to him. He's the sheaves in the field that everyone's going to bow to. So they said, What do you want from us? Leave us alone. And he nudges them. All of us who have had children, and who have grandchildren, great-grandchildren, God bless us. So there are kids that persist to nudge. And you tell them, leave your sister alone. Well, he's not going to leave her alone. So maybe it's all right when you're six years old, or eight years old, or ten years old. But here they're grown men. And they're in a very hostile world. And they have this enemy within them. So therefore they convene a court according to the Medrash. And they declare that Yosef is a Rodef. Yes, Yosef is an existential threat to them. And therefore, they have to take extreme measures to save themselves, to save the house of Jacob, to save the future of the Jewish people, so that Avram and Yitzhak and Yaakov will not have labored for naught. You have to get rid of Yosef. So they convene a Bedin, a Sanhedrin, and they vote on the matter. Ruvain is not there. So, but the vote was nine to nothing. They have to kill him. When the moment comes to execute the judgment, Yehuda steps up. Yehuda says, Ma betza, Every word in the Torah is a diamond. 
You look at a diamond in the light, there are different reflections to it. So all of us have heard this posik maybe uh, hundreds of times in our lifetime. The Rebbe taught it to us in Cheder, the Mora. The Mora probably did a better job. We heard in Kriya Satora. But the Medrash says a shot here that maybe we never thought of. Yehuda said to them, you're going to kill him. You say we are right in killing him. That we're doing it alpi halacha. That this is what should happen. Then why v'chisinu as damo? Then why are we going to hide it? Why are you going to dip his shirt in the blood of a goat and show it to his father and not say anything and let his father come to whatever conclusion he wants? If you're so sure you're right, then why don't you say it? Why don't you go home and say, Pa, if Yosef was a rodeo, we convened the Sanhedrin, we did it. You're not willing to do that. You're doing the cover-up. If you're doing the cover-up, that means you're not convinced that you're right. You're not convinced that he's high of Misa. So therefore, how can we kill our brother? That's a remarkable view of the matter. We all know in life that most of the time the cover-up is worse than the crime. People are trapped and covering it up. Yehuda points that out. So therefore, that's why he's royalty. Royalty does not cover up. Royalty uh, points out the truth. If you would make you suffer the Rosh Yeshiva, he give you five hundred different truths and why it's good. He'll show you a thesis in Menachus that allows you to do it. But it's wrong. It's ruling but show you how economically it's correct. So that's one interpretation of why Yehuda becomes royalty. Because he taught us a good lesson. As long as Bechisinu has Domo, as long as we're willing to cover it up, Ma'betza Kinaro Gesachinu. Then what value? As long as we're willing 
to credit fake news and all sorts of idiotic ideas. So then that's not royalty. The Medrash says the second thing. The Torah devotes an entire parsha to the story of Yehuda and Tomar. which on the surface is not such a nice story. It's about the seduction of a woman. So Yehuda commits something that's not nice. Now I don't want to go again into the halakha. See, uh, Judaism, halacha is one construct of Judaism. But there are other constructs. When I grew up uh, in the yeshiva, the Rebbe uh, didn't say to us, uh, it's awesome. He used to say, it's in its shame. It's not nice. Show me in the, the Mishnah Burra where it says it's not nice. What is that? Not nice. It's shame. But that's an overriding factor in Jewish life. That's why the Ramban says, that a person can be a novel Mishu Satorah. A person can follow the halacha 100% and be an awful person. I will not expand on that. But there is such a, such a creature exists. So this is not a nice thing that Yehuda did. Out of it is going to come greatness, going to come royalty, it's going to come Peretz and Zorach and David HaMelech and the Melech HaMashiach and everything that's great. But what he did was not nice. So they take this poor woman, because it's always the woman that suffers. And they're going to execute her for being an adulteress. He mutzays with Sorev, she's being taken out to be killed. And she has his staff signet ring. According to the Medrash, she has his scissors. And she says, uh, you know, this is the man that I had relations with. Uh, that puts the ball in the court of Yehuda. What does he do now? 
according to the Medrash, and you have to understand this, and however we understand it. But according to the Medrash, Avram and Yitzchak are also present. You know, it's a... You have to admit to you, Zayden. Tzodko Mimeni. She's right, I'm wrong. It's me. Mimeni, for me. She's innocent. I'm the one. I created the situation. So the Medrash says, that's Malchus. That's royalty. Royalty can say, it's me. We look at the world today, at the world as such a mess. It's frightening. But it's nobody's fault. There's no leader that stands up and says, I was wrong. Or I am wrong. No one. Someone else. Not me. We see in the Chumish. Automation sins. Parsh gracious, we're going to have it soon. Right after they turn the clock. The Rabboni Shalom asked him one question. Amino Eves. I shall remarti lachalo solche lachalto. Did you eat from that tree? It's a simple question. Yes or no? What does Adam say? The woman that you gave me, she gave me to eat. Not me. He says to the woman, did you do it? Not me, the snake. He says to Cain, did you kill your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? The whole history of tragedy of sin is the not the inability to accept responsibility. No one says it's me, but it's always me. It's no one else but me. So if we're looking for royalty, then Yehuda is the man, because he said it's me. We find that by, uh, the Gemara says, what's the difference between Shaul HaMelech and David HaMelech? Why isn't uh, the Malchus Yisrael descended through Shaul? The Gemara says that he was then uh, Shona Shaul the Molcho. Shaul was as free of sin as a one-year-old child. You have a tzaddik, that's the king, right? The Chavetz Chaim's the king, the prime minister. What could be better? David? 
whatever we say about David, the Bonshon doesn't let him build the base on English because he killed people. He has a nasty story in his own resume. So why is David the king and not Shaul? So the message says one simple answer again. When the Novi Shmuel comes to criticize Shaul, Shaul says, The people wanted it. I have to listen to the people, not me. It's a democracy. The people want it, you got to give it to them. People want the uh, light rail to operate on Shabbat, you got to give it to them. Whatever the people want. It's not me. When Nosan Anobi comes to David, David says, Chotosi, it's me. The Novi says, you're the man. You're the one that took the sheep away. So again, that's a measure of royalty. To be able to say it's me. I'm not perfect. There's a third opinion in the Medrash. Yosef sends the brothers home and he says, you can't come back unless you bring Binyamin. The brothers come back to the house of Yaakov. Can only imagine, I mean, the Chumash portrays it for us. Part of Jewish history is not to know the story, it's to live the story. You're there. You're in the house of Yaakov. And the brothers come in and they say, you know what's going on there is that he speaks to us so arrogantly, evilly. And he says, I can't come, you can't come back here. We take one of the brothers as a hostage and you can't come back until you bring the other brother. Can you imagine, to have a picture of what that is in the house of Yaakov? And they're running out of food. And they come to Yaakov and they say, we have to go back. We have to get food, otherwise we will all die. And Yaakov says, I'm not going to let Binyamin go. He will not survive the trip. His mother didn't survive the trip. He won't either. So Ruvain says, if I don't bring him back, you can kill my two sons. 
So you're a tzaddik and your two sons. What do they got to do with it? What about you? Yehuda says to his father, Onochi er venu, I am his guarantor. Miyodi tevachenu, you want him, you'll ask me for him. And if I don't do it, v'chotosi l'chot kol ayomim. The Gemara says kol ayomim all the days, meaning this world and in the next world. I'm willing, I guarantee it in the next world too. The Jew has to be willing to sacrifice the next world also. So when Yaakov hears that, he gives him Binyamin. He's the guarantor. You know, here in Israel, uh, take a mortgage or a bank loan or something, they always want guarantors, right? My experience in life, both in the United States and here, is that when guarantors sign, they never expect to pay. I'm doing you a favor, here's my signature. You're going to pay, but I am okay. But uh, the harsh fact in life is that guarantors pay. You can't say to the bank, well, I really didn't mean it. I was just doing him a favor. So Yehuda's the guarantor. So again, royalty is that it's willing to guarantee. It's willing to uh, be responsible. It's what we call accountability, which is something in very, very short supply in today's world. Nobody's accountable. I think one of the great things about the Israeli army, there are a lot of things that we don't know about the Israeli army, or I shouldn't say we. I didn't know about the Israeli army, but I have uh, very good friends who are uh, become Rav Tzvayi chaplains in the Israeli army. And I've learned a lot about the army from their experiences. There's no army in the world like it. For instance, the Israeli army never serves dairy foods. There's never a problem on Bosar B'cholot. If you're in the army, you don't have milchiks for three years. That's the, the trait of Medina, right? But one of the great things about the Israeli army is accountability. You did something wrong, you're fired. You're gone. It just happened now. Uh, the uh, general in the Golan uh, ordered uh, an explosion that was not really supposed to take place. 
by a miracle nobody was injured but they fired him he was th he's 30 years in the army and he's a general they fired him to take away his pension that's it, goodbye so on one hand it's cruel on the other hand it's greatness it's accountability you're a general you don't make those mistakes you make them you jeopardize other people go take a different job and then the fourth thing that the Medrash says why Yehuda was chosen is that now uh, Yosef has uh, so to speak framed Binyamin they put the cup in his sack and uh, the brothers are convinced that Binyamin is guilty they said to him Ganav Ben Ganav your mother was a thief she stole from Lovell you're a thief. And Yosef says, okay, I'm uh, arresting him. Everybody else go home. Here, take food, everything, go home. I'm a nice guy. Bygones will be bygones. But Binyamin is not going back. The other brothers are silent. Yehuda says no. What do you mean you're not sending them back? You're going to kill my father? Nafshok, Shuram, and Nafshok. You want a servant? I'm your servant. I'll stay. That's royalty. What you're willing to give away for others, for a brother. Even when you think the brother is wrong. Even when you think your brother is the God. But I guaranteed it. And that's why Yosef could not resist anymore. So the Medrash has given us four scenarios of Yehuda. Basically, all four are those of responsibility and accountability and honesty, leadership, strength of character. That's royalty. Yes, we are. We're royal people. Um, Yom Kippur, we're going to say, Oshamnu, Bogadnu, Gazalnu, Demarnu, don't. We don't come and say, God, you know, it was a hard year, and, you know, and I couldn't help it, and this and that, and look at the world, and how can you raise children in this world, and you didn't help me here, and I'm sick. Right? We don't say that. Abu Lanachu Khatanu. 
We did it. If we're honest, then heaven is merciful. Because we're members of the royal family. There's a slicha that we say uh, based on a posik and tehillim. The way the great uh, isle, that's an antelope, uh, a kudu, a uh, wildebeest, uh, one of the great deer, uh, as it searches for, for water, so my soul searches for you, God. So I began by telling you a story about Kenya. So I'm going to end by telling you a story about Tanzania. I was in Tanzania many years ago. There's what's called the Great Migration, in which hundreds of thousands, say some say millions, of beasts walk across the Serengeti Plain twice a year to come to water. So in the spring they go in one direction because the, all of the water is dried up. The winter rains have dried up so they have to go to the other side of the plain to get water. And then in fall, right before the winter, they come back, they migrate back. And it, it's something to see. I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of animals. And the trip is not without peril. There are predators that accompany them all the way, picked off the old and the young. And there's heat and thirst, and it's a long walk. But there's an instinct that drives them. No one knows why. No. So Dovra Melech says the same way that there's an instinct that drives them across the Serengeti, there's an instinct in every Jewish soul that wants to find the waters of God, that wants to find Torah. always think about it now you know one of my uh, great weaknesses of which I have many is that I'm still a baseball fan it's tempered by the fact that the teams I root for are Chicago who never are good so you don't really get that involved it's very good to root for a losing team because it's humbling. So this season of the year are, is the penultimate uh, baseball games of the year. The playoffs, the World Series, everything. And there always are Jewish ball players involved.
There are many Jewish ball players that say that they don't play on Yom Kippur. This year it's Nogeya, it, uh, it's relevant to two or three important teams with important ball players. I was wondering to myself, why? All year long, there's no Shabbos, there's no Kashers, there's nothing. There's ball players, you're not dealing with the highest level of people. So if nothing means anything to you, and you don't believe in anything, so why don't you play on your paper? My same question I have about the secular Israeli, right? So all year long, it doesn't mean anything in Yom Kippur, you know? He's not going to drive on Yom Kippur. That he's not going to do. Why? Because of an instinct within him. Indefinable. Almost unrecognizable. That he longs for the waters. He longs to be part of the Creator that gave him life. He is like the great wildebeest that's searching for the water. And that's the emotion of Yom Kippur. We're all searching. We all want to get to the waters. Many times it's hard. There are a lot of obstacles in the way. It says by Avram Avinu, by the Akedo, that the great ram that he was going to sacrifice, it says, Ayl, Achaz, Nechaz, Basfat. This great animal was entangled by its horns in the brush and the thorns couldn't free itself. That's us. Life is an entanglement. Can't free ourselves. We want to serve God. We want to be on the Mizbeach. We want to be the offering to God. But we're entangled. So there's one day a year that we disentangle. And uh, that day uh, is the day of responsibility, the day of accountability. And therefore, that's the day of forgiveness, too. Because there cannot be any forgiveness without accountability. You say to someone, forget it, that doesn't work. You have to remember it, but you have to be able to forgive as well. So I want to wish you all a good year, and to thank you for uh, your attendance here over the past few weeks. And the Mirza Shem will hear good news from each other.
and uh, I hope that uh, we will uh, maybe be able to uh, yet give uh, other debate over here uh, through experience. Thank you and a good year.